Tonight we're going to get right into it, if you will, chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Please turn there, and we can begin. At some point in a court case, you have to uh, really plead your case. And uh, so tonight the question is, how do you plead? And we're going to work with this as we begin to understand the function of the law and the purpose of the law. How do you plead? Do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Let me give you an example. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's still alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law of that marriage. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So Paul's given an example of the law. And what he's saying is the law is binding on us as long as we're alive. You want to get out from under the burden of the law? Then you need to die. We went through this last week, didn't we? And so if we die to the law, the law will not condemn us any longer because we're dead. All right? Now, unfortunately, if you die in your sins, that law will condemn you to hell, won't it? So Paul's just using a very simple illustration of a wife that if her husband's alive and she's married, she goes off and, and hangs with another guy. That's adultery. She's legally bound to that marriage. But if he dies, she is then free and not under the burden of that law. And so he uses that as an illustration and then goes on to say this, in the same manner, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Let me repeat that. You have also died to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? We discussed this last week. When you are immersed in Jesus, when you go to the cross with Jesus and find yourself in unity on that cross and die with Christ, guess what you die to? The condemnation of the law. So you died to the law through the body of Jesus Christ, the physical body of Jesus, so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear the fruit of death. So, just as Christ died and we are in Christ by faith on that cross, we then die to the law. Therefore, we die to its judgment and condemnation. Paul put it this way in Colossians. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What were the handwritings of requirement? The covenant, the Old Testament law. Therefore, wiping it out. Say that with me, wiping out. Wiping out the handwriting of the law or the requirements that were against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What got nailed to the cross? The law of God, the perfect law of God, because Jesus fulfilled it, didn't he? He lived it to perfection. 
Once that law was lived to perfection, he completed it. And so he was able to love the Lord God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength and love neighbors as himself. He perfectly completed all the commandments of the law. And doing that, he became the representation of sin on that cross. So the law that condemned every sin was put upon him because he completed perfectly the obedience to that law. And so Paul tells us that law was nailed to the cross so that if you are nailed to the cross with Jesus, the law can no longer condemn you. It was fulfilled in Christ and you are now free from the condemnation of the law. He put it this way in another portion of Scripture. In Galatians 2.20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is such an important verse. This is called the exchanged life. I have been crucified with Christ. That's what saves us. That's our salvation. When you identify yourself, when you identify you on the cross, when you confess, I am a sinner, I have failed you, God, and I identify with Jesus who died for me, then the law that condemns me has been satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. So I die with Jesus. And there's the illustration Paul said. If you die, you're no longer under the condemnation of that law. That makes sense, doesn't it? But we now rise in Christ Jesus. What was put to death, we learned last week? Our old nature, the nature in Adam. I've been taken out of Adam and now put in Christ. I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, the one in Adam, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's the exchange. Amen? Now this is immense. This is amazing. What it means is as God now sees you, He sees you as a son of God. You were born by God's own Spirit uniquely. Each one of you were born again. As you put faith and identified in Christ's sacrifice, you were birthed. You were born as a child of God. This isn't just an ideology, a philosophy. This is a new birth. I'm a new creation. Behold, all things are made new. Amen? And so that's what he's saying. Now he goes on and he says this about the law. He says, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. That would be Jesus. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear the fruit of of God. How are we going to bear the fruit of God unless we have the nature of God in us? Right? I can't bear the fruit of God unless I have the seed of God in me. Now that I do through His Spirit, I can now bear the very nature of God. For while we were yet living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear the fruit of death. In other words, I lived to please my flesh. I lived to self-satisfy. And where the law said, don't do this, it was exactly what I would do. 
And all I was able to do was bear the fruit of the law condemning me. The law was perfect and constantly condemned me because I failed it. And so, if the law condemns me, the wages of sin is death. So if I'm bearing the fruit of flesh, I'm bearing the fruit of death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. So what should we say? That the law is sin? Is it the law that is sinful and bad? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known what sin was. I wouldn't have known what it is to covet. The law said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. What does he mean by all that? He said, before there was a law, we didn't know what sin was. We didn't know what was against God. All we had was the revelation of God in creation and our own conscience. But God added the law to the promise to be a spotlight to sin. And Paul said, as soon as the law said, do not covet, I began to realize how much I coveted. How many of you know that you don't know how badly you eat till you get on a diet? Am I correct? You have no idea how poor your diet is till you say, I'm going to not take sugar in. And then it comes alive when you realize how much sugar you take in because you have now been highlighted and pointed out on the things. And then you didn't realize how many calories were in a Whopper, but now that you're on the diet and you see the code, written code, lying up above saying 1,700 calories, you go, oh my goodness, I'm condemned. You go over to your friend's house and or you have a friend over and, and you're fasting or you're on a diet and they just happen to come by and, and leave. And after they leave, they call you up and say, hey, you know what? I'm so sorry, but I brought a snicker bar over to your house and I left it on the couch. Could you hold on to it till I pick it up tomorrow? But if you want it, you can eat it. I wasn't craving a Snickers. I had no interest in a Snickers until my friend said, there's a Snickers in your couch. And if you want it, you can eat it. What took over then? My flesh rose up at the knowledge of what sin was. That's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, now that I'm aware of what sin is, I'm aware of how much sin is in me. And this law, therefore, condemns me and kills me. Why does he say the law kills you? Because the wages of sin is death. And the law identifies sin. Therefore, the law condemns us to death. Do you see? 
But something's happened with Christ dying for us on that law. If I'm dead in Christ, then the law will not condemn me because now I'm risen with Christ and have power in me to no longer sin. And so it doesn't condemn me. But there's a problem with all of this. But let's continue. He says this. Verse 12. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? No. By no means. The law didn't bring death to me. It was my sin that produced death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. In other words, the law that, that identifies sin isn't bad and isn't the thing condemning me. The law is just perfect and the goodness of God's own nature. The problem is, it's proving me to be the problem. I'm the problem. Sin in me is the problem, not the law. So, I mean, one of the first things we think of is, well, if we can get rid of the law, whoo, we're okay. Now, what we need to get rid of is sin. And that's the key. You see, we, as Christians, so often... We turn it around. We read this passage and we say, oh good, God nailed the law to the cross. The law's gone. I've got grace so I can go ahead and just sin. The whole point is quite the opposite. He took the condemnation of the law away so he could put his nature in you so that you could eradicate sin in your body. This is what he's trying to accomplish in us. That his spirit of holiness would eradicate that power of sin in our being. The law is holy and good. All the law did was turn the flashlight on to sin. And what we all discovered through the period of when the law ruled the world is that we realized there is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. No one is righteous. We need a Savior do you see the design of this and the perfection of it? And that's Paul's argument. But now Paul wants us to understand something about this sin. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. It's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul is now identifying the problem. There is a power in me. Though I've been taken out of Adam, and though the old man was put to death, 
I have a new nature. Behold, all things are new. I'm a son of God, a child of God. I am no longer considered a sinner. I am now considered a saint, a sanctified one. And all of that is good. This new creation's good. There's only one problem. It was put and left, and it remains in this Adam container. That's the problem. The problem is we still have this flesh, this body. And what Paul does in such an amazing, creative way is he separates himself and his identity from the power of sin in his flesh. He says this, so now it is no longer I who do it. Who is the I he's referring to? The I is the sanctified one of God, the Son of God, the one who's made righteous and the one who's holy. That's me. That's my identification in Jesus. But he says, sin, the power of sin dwells in me and he now personifies sin as a power that we have to contend with. It's in us. It's built into us. And so he says, the law is good and it points out sin, but Jesus saved me from sin and its consequences. But now what the Christian needs deliverance from is not just sin, but self, the flesh. The generator of sin is the flesh. So he goes on, so now it's no longer I who do it. But sin that dwells in me, something changed. It's no longer me, the sinner. It's no longer I. I am changed. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. But sin dwells in me, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Do you see what he's doing? He is separating himself from sin. He's saying, I desire to do things and please God, but I end up doing the wrong things, having the wrong attitude. I tend to drift towards the sin instead of the righteousness that I feel compelled in my spirit to do. I feel powerless to this power of sin, but it is not me. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I. It's the third time he said it. It's no longer I. There's nothing good within me. And he qualifies it. That is in my flesh. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now if he put a period there, we would have a problem with that statement, wouldn't we? Because there is something good that dwells in us. What is it? It's Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. He qualifies the statement. He says, I know that there's nothing good that dwells within me. Uh, I, I mean, that is in my flesh. That is in my flesh. And he said, if I sin, it's not I who do it. It is sin that dwells within me. 
There's this power in us. Though the old nature's been put to death, what is this power? What is sin? He says, the, it, it's within my members. And so what Paul does is in order for him to identify where that sin's coming from so that he can overcome it, he separates himself from it. This is key. This is key in the battle of fighting sin in your life. Because so often we feel that we're just the wretch. We're, we're no good. We're just uh, lost in sin. I hate the bumper sticker. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm sorry, that is not who I am. I was when I came to the cross. I am not a sinner in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm His Son. I am sanctified. I'm a saint of the living God. I am not qualified as a sinner. And so you've got to understand this. And this is what Paul's doing. He's separating himself from that sin because he knows he's dead to sin. But this thing charges up every now and then. This thing comes alive. But it's not him in Christ. It is his flesh. It's the member of his flesh. How many of you have ever seen boxing matches? That's probably the worst way to box like this. (laughs) Obviously, I don't box. How many of you ever seen when they're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting and they get entangled in each other? How many punches can you throw when one guy's hanging on you and you're hanging on to the other guy? You can't throw a punch. What does the referee do? Comes in and he separates them, doesn't he? Why? So then you can assail, you can punch your enemy. If you do not identify the patterns of sin in your flesh, you'll never beat them. If you only identify yourself as a sinner, you'll never separate yourself from your sin. This is good, and you better get this. You have to begin identifying who you are in Christ and telling your sin, you're not welcome here anymore. This is not me. This is not my desire. This is not what I delight in. You have to separate from it so that you can attack it. Find out where it came from, why it's regenerating, why it's causing this calamity to you, why is it uh, uh, feeding something within your flesh, why is it accommodating, why is it medicating, what is it doing? Why does this pattern of your flesh behave that way? But when you say, that's not me, how many of you get caught up in thoughts? You have thinking that comes across your mind you're in the middle of worship you're not thinking of anything uh, other than God and all of a sudden some thought comes into your head and you're going oh Lord Jesus and the first thing you think is I'm such a rat I'm so such a loser I'm such a failure because what happens is the card catalog in your brain of all the trash that we've put in and keep putting in floats around like satellites around the earth that float into your mind and float out. But if you would say, that's not me, and if you don't spend your time chasing it, but you dismiss it, you'll beat it. 
You have to separate it from me. It is not I who think this thought. It's stray. I remove it. I'm coming back to my thinking on you, God. Thank you. I don't have to condemn myself. I don't have to think worse of myself because that's not me. That's a floating thought I've just abandoned. Now I'm back to you. It's how you defeat it. And this is what Paul's saying. It is no longer I, but the power of sin in my flesh. And I'm going to identify it, and then I'm going to attack it, and I'm going to overcome it. For he says this. He goes on to say, So I find it to be a law or a system, a function, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's the crux of what we're fighting right here. What we see now is the trichotomy of man, the three parts of a human being. Now that you've been born again, the spirit man has come alive. So that you can say, in my inner man, I delight in the law. I delight in the nature of God and his perfection. A lost person doesn't do that. A lost person's scared to death of God. A lost person will ignore God. But the, the one thing a lost person knows that if they're in the presence of a holy God, they're doomed. A saved person can delight in the law of God, his holiness and his purity. Because I know my sin's been taken care of by Jesus Christ. I can draw near a holy God. So in my inner being, I delight in the law. I, I love the law of God. I love his holiness. I love his judgment and his wrath because I've received his grace and his mercy. And so my inner man delights in the law. But I see in my members, I see in my members. Now, what are members? Does he mean the members of this congregation? No, no, no. no. He means the members, the, the, the parts of his flesh, his being. Right, But I see in my members or in my body another law or dynamic, another law or dynamic waging war against the law of my what? Mind. That's the second part of man. The first part of man is the spirit birthed in him by God that delights in the law of God. It's sanctified, it's holy. That's who you are in Christ. That's the I that Paul says. I delight in the law, in my inner being. It is no longer I who sin, but the power of sin in me. He identifies with that. And that's the question to all of us tonight. Who do you identify with? Do you identify with your flesh, your outer being, the shell of what you are? Or do you identify with your inner man, the spirit man, created in the image of Christ? You'll never conquer sin, and you'll never grow in righteousness if you will identify yourself by the flesh. You've got to identify yourself as to who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ delights in God and in His love. But there's a center being. It's the soul, the intellect, the emotion, and the will. It's the person of who I am. 
So my inner man is immediately redeemed, made righteous, sanctified, but who I am as a person, my intellect, emotion, will, my soul, my heart, that is being changed and sanctified by the renewing of my mind. How many of you know that? And so the mind then has to make the choices. And so there's a war going on. Where, why is there a war? Because the inner man in me says, this is what delights God. But he said, there's a war against my mind making me captive to the law of sin. And where does it dwell? In my members, in my flesh. So, say that again. Yeah. And I'll, that's a good point, and I'll get to that in a minute. So, so where does sin dwell? The law of sin dwells in my members, my body. Now, that's key. Let me help you understand the dynamic of this three-part that's functioning as a Christian. The world doesn't have to worry about this because they have a dead spirit. So all they're doing is responding by the senses of the members of their flesh. Let's go deeper into understanding it. What is the members of my body? In the Greek, the word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And it means more than simply muscle and bone. It means the, 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 the human person of this mechanism. Did you know your body's a mechanism? Do you know that your body has five senses? Those senses keep you in touch with the physical world. Literally. I can touch this and know that's hard. I can touch it and see if it's cold. I can touch it and see if it's hot. My five senses, I see. And I, what I see goes to my brain and tells me, ah, that's a snake. No, wait a minute. It's just a tree branch. What happened? I processed. My eyes saw it, but then I went to my mind, and when I saw it again, I related it to what snakes look like. I thought it was a snake, but after processing it further, I realized it's a tree branch because I've seen tree branches before, and my mind has processed to figure that out. That's all a mechanism that's working and functioning. My taste buds do the same thing. Mm, this is milk. Pfft, it's sour. My mind processes this, the taste. This, so I am constantly in touch with the physical realm. That's what the members of my body do. But it's not just the physical body parts, but it's also the drives that cause this body to function. If I didn't have a drive to eat, guess what would happen with me? I would die. Yeah, I'd lose weight, but... On my way to death. Really got skinny today. <laughs> These are drives and functions. We have drives to survive. So there, uh, the, the body, the sarks, the member that he's talking about, see, this is more than just a physical part. My, my, my memories, my thoughts, my patterns, my behaviors, my drives and my lusts, those are all part of the power of sin in me. And when we were not in Christ, we were training this thing to do what it wanted and to get what it wanted. Have it your way. Right? And this is what we do. We, we, we 
survive and function patterns. So we, we don't know what love is, so we, we try to figure out what love is, and, and we seek love in all the wrong places, so to say, and it creates patterns and hurts and wounds in our heart and in our thinking. And it develops sin. And so we self-medicate, and then we over-medicate. Because we can't function this way. All we have are drives of this flesh and all it knows to do is to be out of whack and it moves into sin. And that's why it dwells in the flesh. It also is in the patterns of the mind. That's why once you're saved, Paul says, and we'll get to it in Romans, but you have to be transformed from the patterns that have been established in you from the world. How many of you, once you got saved, you started to learn what love really was? and what it was not. You started to learn what friendship was. You started to learn what intimacy was. You started to learn what good behavior and morality was because before it was all driven on self-service. And so, John tells us it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All of that is part of the members of my being, my body, the physical aspect of who I am. That physical aspect also goes on the inside too. We talk about the members of the body, people don't realize, you know what? Your heart's physical, your lungs are physical, your gallbladders are physical, inside of you is physical. So there can be demonic activity inside you too because it's all part of the physical It's all part of that functioning of the members of his body. And so he says, now get this, he says, my inner being delights in the law. So now the spirit man's been birthed in you, and now it has spiritual senses. Your body has physical senses to the physical world, but your inner man, the spirit, now has spiritual senses to God. And so now you're in tune to the voice of God. Now you're sensitive to the compassion of the Lord. Now you're hearing what is true, and you should not lie. But your body says, you better lie. Your wife's going to be mad at you if she found out what you just did. But your spirit man says, I must not lie. I should honor her and tell her the truth. And your flesh says, protect, buddy, protect. You're going to get in a lot of trouble here. Now it wages war where? In my mind. Am I going to please God or am I going to protect myself? That's the biggest problem you and I have, self-protection. Can I tell you the remedy to self-protection? Kill it. The cross. Because self-protection will only lead you to sin. Take that under what it's meant in context, okay? I mean, if someone's trying to mug you in this and that, you know, please. Oh, my pastor said I shouldn't protect myself. Go ahead and shoot. (laughs) Do you understand the dynamic now of what he's saying? He's saying that I am a new creation in Christ, but I have a war going on in my being. And I have got to find a way to overcome the power of the sin. And the key is coming in chapter 8. So you've got to come back next week. But he's giving you hints and ideas on how to overcome this, but we're understanding the dynamic of who we are. 
We are new creatures in Christ. It is no longer I who sin. It is the power and the pattern of sin in me that's doing it. Do you see the difference now? One can be handled, but if you, cheap, if you keep identifying yourself as the sinner, as the problem, and you're nothing more than a sinner who has to try his hardest on the treadmill of self-achievement to be good, you will fail every time. And so what we've done in the church is we've created the altar so that when you would come and you'd repent and you'd cry out to God, I'll try harder next time. Give me more ability to do it in my own power and I'll go out and not sin. And you might as well open the altar tomorrow because guess who's coming back? And you'll come to the altar and say, I did it again. I tried my hardest, but I just can't get over this thing. I'm such a loser. I'm such a failure. But thank you for grace. You still forgive me. (laughs) And I know we have that struggle, but if you would begin to realize it is not I who do it. It's the power of sin in me. I am the beloved of God. God loves me, and this grace he gives me is, in fact, power to overcome sin, not to compensate for it. And so, God, I'm going to face this sin, and I'm asking you, Lord God, and I'm going to ask my friends that I would confess my sin to, could you help me, keep me accountable, help me understand why this pattern is in me? I'll take two examples tonight to help you. Why, men, do we keep getting caught in the attraction of pornography? Why do we keep getting snagged with that? Because the lust of the eyes, you were wired mechanically as a mechanism to respond to sexual stimulation. And so when you see it, the endorphins released in your mind is as strong as the heroin addict or anybody else that gets a high. But you're not thinking that way. You're just thinking you're a loser. But if you would begin to realize that why you're attracted to that and why you're going to that, you need to get it out of your eye gate. You need to remove it and you need to make sure you don't go back down that path and make sure you can't go there because you'll always get snagged by it because you're made that way. So you keep your eyes holy. And then you realize, why am I so attracted to this? It's because of my self-image that, that, that these amazing women, I can see them naked and so I could think that I'm something special. There's a wound here. There's a reasoning behind it. If that's getting too personal for you, men, let me go to you ladies. Why do you continue to gossip and slander and talk about each other? Why do you continue to give news and information and opinions and judgments about others? Because you have a problem with ears and secrets and understanding the mysteries of people. And so you communicate it and you got to just hear, what is that juicy tidbit that you left out that someone wants to talk to you about? It's as powerful as pornography. Oh, but we don't indicate it in the church. We nail the men, but we don't nail the women. And so we become busybodies and we talk and we, and we text and we write this about the other person and we make slanderous remarks and we hold our opinions. Why? Because of your own power of sin in your flesh, because of, of, of feeling inadequate. So if you put someone else down, you feel better. And, and it's itching ears and it, it's the same. Do you understand where I'm coming from, everybody? 
So instead of thinking, I'm such a loser, I can't get rid of this, I'm such a terrible person, you begin to move like Paul and you say, it is not I who do this. For the I in Christ, I am a sanctified, holy person, righteous. I'm not going to choose to listen to those things anymore. I'm going to take myself out of watching that stuff or listening to that stuff or Facebooking that stuff. I'm not going to pass it along. I'm not going to get into this tweet with everybody else. And so you refrain from it. And then you say, it's a pattern in me and I'm going to find out where the pattern started because there's a power in me to overcome the pattern of that sin. And this is what we're talking about. Real practical deliverance from the power of sin. Oh, we would all love to come to the altar and have the demon cast out. That's the problem. If I could just say it, I'll just say it. I remember when Jimmy Swaggart, you know, he was nailed for the the stuff with the prostitute and all that. And the remedy was, I went to Oral Roberts and I got delivered. I'm fine now. So I won't stay under the, uh, the jurisdiction of the Assemblies of God and I won't take the discipline of two years off from them because I got the demon cast out. I'm fine now. No, there's something wrong. Could have had a demon, no doubt. Could have had a demon problem. But even with a demon problem, you've established problems in your flesh that need to get healed. All right? Now, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just using that public issue for all of us to learn from. And so there's patterns that we have to overcome. Are you getting this? And so if we would be a people who recognize that with each other, that we are all contending against the patterns of sin in the flesh. How about we help each other out a little bit? How about we pray for each other? Because the patterns in my flesh that are sinful may not match the patterns in your flesh, but we're in this fight together because you and I are holy children of God, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, not because of what we've done, but what he did with us. So let's band together and let's overcome the devil and put him under our feet. Amen? That's the power of the church, and that's why we confess our faults one to another. And he goes on and he says this exactly, verse 24. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am! Who can save me from this body of death? And that's what Romans 7 identifies. Romans 6 took us out of Adam. Romans 6 freed us from sin. Romans 7 identified the problem of the flesh that has to be overcome. And again, the devil's trick is to get you to think you're still in Adam. You cannot be in Christ and in Adam. You cannot. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. You cannot have these two natures. So if you are in Christ... You're the righteousness of God. And now he treats you as a child, as a saint, not a sinner. And now he's training you how to walk in sanctification. And he's training you. And he'll he'll make sure you get caught. It's funny. I don't know how many people I've talked to that when they were in the world, they did so many stupid and dangerous things, never got caught. Then they get saved, and the first time they do it, they end up in jail. Why? 
oh, they got a dad now who's ready to deal with their sin. (laughs) And he's going to teach them how to walk a sanctified life. So once you surrender to Jesus, guess who's in charge now? And he's not embarrassed by exposing your sin. He'll expose anyone's sin. He doesn't have to prove himself to anybody. And what he's doing is something very lovingly because he wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. So he'll use whatever paddle he has to to whip your little bottom so that you will face the issues that are patterns that he knows you can overcome. Do you know that in this room tonight there is no sin that you cannot overcome because the power of the resurrection is in you? It's the willingness. Now let me give you the illustration Paul leaves us with in chapter 7. Oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And he's using a very specific reference to the Roman culture at that time. You see, in Roman culture, if you murdered someone, they would take the body of that murdered victim and tie that body to your body. So that when you walked around town, you carried the burden of your sin. How many people do you think would invite you over to dinner? Yeah, can I come and uh, bring a guest? Sorry. What happens when that corpse begins to rot? What happens when that flesh begins to get disease? When you lay down to sleep at night and the maggots from that body crawl over into yours? Who can deliver us? What a wretched person I am. Who could deliver me from this body of death? We're carrying around in this body that body of Adam. We're carrying a body that's dying. Inwardly, we're being renewed, but outwardly, we are dying daily, Paul says. Who can deliver us? And the answer, the overwhelming answer is praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a deliverance for you and I, but we have got to overcome this body of death. I conclude now by saying this. No standing or stopping any time in chapter 7. The church loves to stop at chapter 7 because we all relate to it. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I (laughs) end up doing are just sin, right? I really want to do good, but I end up doing evil. I don't want to do evil, but I end up doing evil. It's always there with me. I feel comfortable now because I can relate to Paul and Paul can relate to me. He doesn't want you to stop there. Paul didn't divide this book into chapters. Somebody else did. He wants to bring you into the remedy, which is chapter 8, but you've got to understand chapter 7 before we can get on to to 8. So please, nobody park here. Don't stop here. Understand the dilemma, and let's move forward to a victory. Amen? Amen? So what are we contending with? We are contending with flesh life, the power of the flesh, and how to overcome it. And so, on your handout tonight that I've given you, I want you to understand the two aspects of your salvation. Number one, you were saved from sin. That's what Jesus did for you on the cross. You have to first identify yourself as a sinner. 
Once you recognize that you're a sinner, you have to realize that Jesus died in your place and took your sin on himself. That's how he saved us from sin and the judgment against sin. Once that's complete, and now that you're born again, and God puts his spirit in you, you now have to understand how to be saved from self. And Jesus said, you must crucify your flesh daily. You must identify yourself in Christ daily. So that when sin tempts you, you say, I'm sorry, you're talking to the wrong man. I am a sanctified believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. My identity is a child of God. I want to please my Father and not please myself. And I'm going to renew my mind and break the patterns of my flesh because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if you're finding yourself losing that battle, it's because, and I'll put it out to you plainly, to me too, it's because we're not studying the Word enough and we're not in prayer and communion with God's Spirit enough. Those are the two elements that will keep you from the patterns of sin of your flesh. Because none of it has to do with you. It has to do with the power outside of you that inhabits you that will overcome sin. You do not have to sin. We have power over sin. We have the ability to choose not to sin. And so we've got to remain close to Jesus Christ through reading His Word and staying in fellowship with His Spirit. That's key. Now, many people try to reform the flesh. Now, there's a lot of good programs out there that help reform people. There's AA. That's based, an Episcopal priest started AA and is based on 12 steps found in Scripture. But the secular society adopted the principles because they work. Of course they do. They're based on Scripture. But they developed it and then they secularized it and they used it for that to reform people's flesh. And people who are not saved can be reformed from alcoholism. They just turn their addictions into something else. Addictive behavior just becomes addictive in another area. Some people get addicted to, to religion. Instead of drinking a fifth, they, 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 they go to church. Not having a relationship with Jesus, they just get addicted to religious activity. Now that's kind of hard, isn't it? Because we don't know the difference until we see their fruit to see if they're truly born again. We We have churches filled with religious people who are not born again. Right? Here's the reason I put an octopus up there concerning the flesh life is because do you know that with an octopus or with a squid, you can cut off an arm and guess what will happen? It'll grow right back. And that's flesh life. You cannot rehabilitate the flesh. You can't teach the flesh better behavior. Oh, it may perform well in one area, but guess what will happen? It'll grow back into its self-centered purposes. You can't reform the flesh. The remedy for the flesh is one thing. Death. That's why the symbol of Christianity is the cross. The only remedy for sin is the cross. 
The only redemption from the flesh is the cross. And so, the sooner you become one who understands the power of the flesh, you're on your way to a victorious life over sin. And so, we need to become a people who will break the power of self. Don't you find it fascinating, all the selfies? <laughs> this is me, this is me, this is me. And we said we're all into us. Everybody has their own personal soundtrack now, right? So we're all listening to our own movie. We are the movie. We're the star of our own movies. It's amazing, isn't it? What I want you to do is I want you to stand with me now as we recite the Selfers Prayer. I want to get you on the road to overcoming the power of flesh. And in doing that, we'll read this prayer together. You ready? All right, we'll go nice and slow. Read it with me. Thank you for delivering me from life in Adam and placing me in Jesus. I confess that I have been a selfer and a total failure in and of myself. I have been struggling to live the Christian life out of my own resources. I admit that I have been trying to get my needs met through people, achievements, and possessions. I now give up on my self-sufficiency and do hereby commit my life unconditionally into your hands. I give up all my rights and expectations and give you permission to make me into the kind of person you want me to be. I believe your word that I have been crucified with Christ, buried and have been raised into newness of life. I claim resurrection life as my life. I have been raised into the heavenly places and I believe that I am now seated at the right hand of the Father. I choose an, an act of my will to claim that Christ is my life, my power, and my identity. I thank you that my identification with Christ makes me totally acceptable and that all my need is met in Christ. I yield myself totally to the indwelling Christ for obedience. Do with me whatever you choose. Glorify and manifest your Son in my life. Amen. Let us pray. We recognize who we are in you, Jesus. 
In this there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In this we are free from the power of sin. We've become the righteousness of Christ. We are children of God. We have the favor and grace of God upon us. We walk in righteousness. We are the truth of God in the earth. We are favored and highly exalted in Christ Jesus. We are in a battle against the patterns of sin in our lives. God, reframe our minds to understand now who we really are and show us the patterns of our self and flesh that we may overcome them and have victory. And Lord, we look forward to being free from this sin. In Jesus' name, amen.